Hi everyone, this is Marsha, and I'm the director and founder of the Brooklyn Caribbean Literary Festival. I'm thrilled and elated to announce the birth and launch of our brand new podcast, CocoPod. Consider the aromatic CocoPod and how, after carefully ripening under the Caribbean sun, it generously offers up its rich fruit in due season. CocoPod by BCLF aims to provide a similar delight. Each episode is a seed, a nugget of an original Caribbean story told in the voice of its writer. Each story, an infinite gift by the offshoot of an ancient griot tradition. As a whole, Caribbean stories are like a mighty tree whose branches extend, offering shade and comfort wherever her children settle. From my team and the legion of Caribbean writers behind us, we bring to you the warmest of welcomes. Easy. By the time Franklin joined the line on the pavement outside of the embassy, the sun was already bearing down like if it was midday, even though it was only half past eight in the morning. Standing there, dressed in a long sleeve shirt and tie, he didn't dig no horrors when people heckled him and the other hopefuls as they passed by. What shall they line up begging to go and live in people country now? Franklin couldn't speak for anybody else in the line, but he personally had no intention to overstay his time in that catcher's place. He just wanted to see if the place looked the same way in real life, to see if everything on TV was true, and of course to see his cousin get married. So he remained in line, head high, confident about his chances and his place in the world. But after fifteen minutes of the sun tearing into his face, beads of sweat settled into the tight space between his collar and his neck. The folder, with all his documents, barely covered his face, and he started to shrink against the concrete wall. One by one they inched through the gates, and a few shuffles later Franklin made it to the head of the line. The guard checked his name off the list, checked him for any sharp objects or concealed weapons, then invited him to step inside through the metal detectors. When he entered the building, he realized that the same warm air he left outside was waiting for him inside, and he started to wonder about the country and its people, who didn't even see it fit to at least offer people some cold breeze in this heat especially since everyone here had to pay a non-refundable application fee of $700. And because he stood there wondering, he was left standing as everyone else rushed to find a seat among the brightly colored plastic chairs, the luckier ones getting a seat in the path of the industrial-sized fans that dominated each corner of the room. He had a nine o'clock appointment, and according to the large clock which hung above the counters, he had a fifteen-minute wait. Soon nine o'clock came and went, then half past nine, then quarter past ten, and no one from either counter A, B, C, or D had called his name. There was an order here that he did not understand. 
Some who arrived after him were called forward, and when that happened, he and all those who were waiting before only shifted in annoyance, because everyone there knew, without anybody having to tell them, that no matter what, you could never raise your voice in the embassy. Eventually, Franklin found a seat and kept his eye on the woman at Counter C, who from where he sat resembled his Aunt Josephine. To him this was a sign, and it comforted him. But after a while he prayed that she would not call his name. Every single person who left her counter either tried to keep their heads up to keep their tears back, or their heads down so that no one could see them. Half past eleven, quarter to twelve, and Franklin began to feel sleepy as the fan struggled against the heat. Franklin Archibald the lady at Countess called his name again, her accent sharpening each syllable so that the sound of his own name was choking his brain. And as he walked to the counter, all he could study was how a whole $700 was going to waste and how he would have to tell his cousin that they blank him, even after all the money she spent to FedEx a notarized letter of invitation a copy of her passport, and an actual invitation to the wedding. He would have to explain how the lady at Comfort Counter C didn't even offer a greeting before demanding his documents, how her eyes never left his face while he produced a year's worth of payslips, bank statements from his folder, along with a job letter which was typed up on bond paper and embossed with the school seal. The deed from the land in Separia that his grandmother had left to him followed, and finally the certified copy for the white Mitsubishi Lancer waiting for him in the parking lot. She said nothing while she skimmed past the entry stamps for Canada, Barbados, Grenada, and Panama that dotted his passport as if they were fresh from the Labas. Do you have any family across there? My cousin... I'm hoping to go to she wedding next month. She is the one who invite me to come. Uh-huh. And how long do you intend to stay? Um, about three weeks. She returned his bank statements. Are you sure all this money is yours? Maybe you borrowed it from a friend or a family member to fatten your account to make it look good. He took a moment, choosing his words carefully. No, ma'am, he replied, through what he hoped was a friendly smile. If you would just look at the bank statements, you could see how get paid every month on the 25th. That means nothing. You could have planned this for a long time. I've seen it before. His throat tightened as he tried to keep his face neutral. But I have everything there. You see, I'm just not convinced that when you get there and you see the bright lights that you would want to return to this place, she said. The moment stretched between them, mimicking the way her hands tried to encompass this place. Franklin was sure that his cousin would understand after he explained all this. How he really had no choice but to tell this woman. The same woman who could pass for Auntie Josephine that may really want to live in all your blasted country, you know. I good where I is. How the only thing that kept him from cussing Shimada ass was the guards behind the counters, each one of them with a semi-automatic and an extra clip strapped to their vest.
What else he could have do? He would have asked his cousin after the woman turned and tell him, fine by me. That he was so damn vexed, he would tell she. That he grabbed up the job letter and the pay slips and the bank statements along with the deed and the certified copy and marched outside, head high all the way to the car. But as he was studying all this, as he waited for the car to cool down, Franklin could not remember getting his passport back. He realized that the woman kept it, and that meant that he would actually have to tell his cousin that after all that, he really get through, that he get the visa. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment to follow CocoPod and turn on your notifications so that you don't miss new stories when they drop. One last thing. Caribbean stories and Caribbean writers need our help. Show your support by sharing and downloading this podcast as far and as widely as you can. Buy their books, support independent bookshops, and request Caribbean titles from your local libraries. Remember that a rising tide lifts all ships. Give thanks. For more Caribbean storytelling goodness, follow CocoPod and BCLF Always Lit on all major podcast platforms.